I'm Dr. Megan Corredo, and welcome to Real Stories, a podcast that features the narratives of trauma survivors, professionals, and community leaders. Real Stories provides a platform for guests with diverse life experiences to voice and honor their unique narratives. During today's episode, we will be speaking with Suzanne Dobb. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Megan. So can you start off by telling us a little about who you are? Sure. I am, um, I'm a clinical social worker. I uh, live in the Philadelphia area, and I work as a consultant for a national consulting firm. Um, mostly what I consult on is where um, physical health and emotional health come together, which is all the time, mm-hmm. and um, how to make that seamless so that no matter where someone um, goes for health care, their whole person is what is um, received, not just mm. body parts. Mm. So that, that's mostly the area that I consult in. Okay. And then you're also an artist, right? I am, which features very prominently into any discussion I have about um, adversity and resilience. So I'm, I'm a mosaic artist. I've, I've been a mosaic artist for the last, um, oh, just over 10 years, probably. And, um, and I've really have um, turned to art throughout my life as a, as a way that I've myself have felt more whole. Mm. And you've also done a lot of work um, in the trauma-informed field, right? I have. I, uh, Like I said earlier, I'm a clinical social worker. Uh, I have also got a small private practice. And um, I, I think that, um, you know, trauma is, trauma and adversity is just ubiquitous. Um, most of us experience something um in our lives that that's really difficult and really stressful. And we don't get a lot of instruction about how to uh, manage that and how to cope with that. In fact, we don't often get a lot of acknowledgement Mm -hmm. about the trauma that we've experienced, um, whether it's a a big trauma or or a smaller trauma or an Mm -hmm. adversity. Uh, And I think we have a lot of social messages that, you know, tell us to do things that are unrealistic and in fact, inadvertently probably shame us. So pull yourself up by your bootstraps or, you know, just kind of keep on keeping on. And uh, I think if you're not able to do that or if you need more help with it, we don't, we don't build the resources into how we parent, how we teach, and, you know, how we kind of, you know, the strategies that we learn in our lives. And, and consequently, I think a lot of people feel shame that they can't mm-hmm. kind of do what their culture is telling them they better be able to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you already shared a little with us about what you do. Is there anything else that you want to add? No, I think that you you got a I'm a, a mom. I have a partner, and um, yeah, no, I think I think that's <laughs> that's most of it. All right. So we know that every individual, every community, every system has a story, and every story includes both adversity and strength. Can you talk to us about some of the adversities that you faced? Yeah. So, you know, in in thinking about this, I, like I said earlier, you know, 
um, I really do think life is just filled with adversity. So, the, you know, this, the adversity story to me is not quite as um, remarkable as mm-hmm. the, the pulling yourself out of and finding your way through uh, the adversity. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking, well, well, what would I want to talk about? And I think something that I have rarely spoken about um, is that uh, when, when my child was... Um, Oh, I don't know, probably about 12, 15 months old, um, my pediatrician told me that he had some pretty significant delays. Mm-hmm. And later on, uh, maybe within the next couple of years after that, um, we came to um, understand that he probably was on the autism spectrum. And my um, my life was so shaped by that, by so shaped by... Um, having a child with a disability, advocating for him, uh, making sure that he got the services he needed and the, the education and, of course, the, the community respect and, and all. And I thought that might be an interesting thing to to look at during this podcast. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to share about that experience? Um, I will share that that experience stands out for me as a place where uh, the personal and the community kind of uh, came together. Mm -hmm. So in order for me to help him and in order for him to, um, to figure out, you know, how, how he could be in, um, in a community that, he wasn't a really good match for, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. In in order for us to do that, we needed to have um, community help, community connections, um, family help, of course. And um, that stands out to me as different from other experiences that might be far more personal, like um, a personal trauma that one might experience um, that you really handle in a more private way. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, it's taught me a lot about how care begins in communities. I, I've come to extend that idea that care begins in communities mm-hmm. to most trauma and adversity that I think about. So I, I no longer kind of think about a person going to, say, therapy mm-hmm. as a way to heal from trauma as, as the go-to uh, solution. Mm-hmm. I, I've really expanded my understanding of what is healing and what is helpful uh, to, to much bigger scope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I think that there is a time and a place for therapeutic support, but... Um, Oftentimes we elevate that over other types of support when really it's about it's about therapy, but it's about like healthy reparative relationships. And it's about like being able to have access to healthy coping strategies, whether that's sports or the arts. Um, And I think it's really important for us to recognize that all of these things collectively support people and bouncing back from adversity. And it, it really can't just stay in the sphere of therapy. There are not enough therapists in the world. Well, and also there many, many people do not turn to formal systems of help mm-hmm. like therapy uh, in order to, to get help. So it can't be the only solution because it's not a good fit for a lot of people, maybe even most. 
Right, right. Like, and then also is, if you yeah. if you think about like kind of people's relationships with particular systems, if you already have a relationship of, of mistrust or you've experienced trauma at the hands of a particular system, going to that same system to receive support and assistance um, can seem like really intimidating. Absolutely. And and rightfully so. You know, um, I, I think that um, the the mental health system, as much as it tries uh, to, you know, to be there for, for the community, um, for meaning like our population at large, um, has made some, some pretty big mistakes and, and continues to make big mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, part of the problem here is that I think as a society, we have um, decided that people with mental illness um, are throwaways. Like we've decided that we're not going to mm-hmm. invest in people with behavioral health challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean this very societally, you know, whether mm-hmm. they be mental health challenges or substance abuse challenges. I think we really just relegate um, those challenges to uh, those people who mm-hmm. have those problems and, and they should be handled, you know, out of sight. And we underfund those systems. Mm-hmm. We don't do enough um, training and, and enough, um, you know, kind of awareness building about recovery in those systems. But particularly the underfunding um, problem, you know, makes it so that they're not always safe places to turn to. Right. Reliably safe, mm-hmm. meaning reliably safe that I'm going to be received and, and honored in, in this space. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that there are not a lot of well-meaning and, and really caring people that are ready to serve. Mm-hmm. It's the system that concerns me more. Right, right. So let's switch gears for a moment. Can you share a few positive moments or turning points in your story? Yeah. So I, I would say that Weirdly, um, so so you know, I'm a I'm a caretaker. I I like to help people, right? And I do it professionally. Mm-hmm. But I came to that, of course, that profession, even because personally, I value that. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, when faced with a child who needed help, I really threw myself all in. And um, I was fortunate to have an employer, who, honestly, you know, who allowed me that flexibility and allowed me to take advantage of some of the really excellent help I was getting um, from community resources, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech therapists. But um, what I wasn't doing um, was taking care of myself right? Mm. I just really threw myself into this and was using every free moment to to take care of my child and make sure that he had access to services. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that kind of came crashing down on me in, in this really funky kind of way, which was that one day um, I, I parked in a, a kind of um, vague, <laughs> handicapped parking spot I didn't think I was in a handicapped parking spot and, Mm -hmm. and I got a really big ticket, right? It was like $500 or something crazy like that. And I, it just kind of like crushed me, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm trying in every which way, stretching myself, bending myself in every which way to take care of things. And, um, 
and some a, a lovely woman who worked at the health center where I was getting help, um, she said to me, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to fight this ticket with you because mm-hmm. you shouldn't have gotten that ticket. And we took photographs and she went with me down to city hall or wherever it was. And we, mm-hmm. she like really stood with me as my witness and first you have to pay the ticket, but then they reimburse you if they find you not guilty. Right. Okay. So they found me not guilty. So I suddenly got Ooh. like this $500 back. Right. Nice. And for me, that was a lot of money. And I mm-hmm. was really um, so happy and so grateful for her help and support. And, um, and again, you know, we don't get through this alone, right? We just don't get through it alone. So I decided, you know, this had to stop. And I took my $500 and I went out and I bought a bunch of art supplies because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that is what I turn to. That's what keeps me whole. And that's what was missing from my, from my life. I, I'd really put that on pause, mm-hmm. uh, which was a mistake. And, and I knew that I, I had to re-engage with that. And, um, so that, that was my positive, that, that kind of turning point of recognizing you can't help other people if you're burning the candle at both ends. It's just not possible that Mm -hmm. your self leadership, that's what I'm going to just call it, your self leadership. You're Mm -hmm. saying, you know, what do I need in this life? How do I lead a life that is um, sustainable so that I can be there for others has to be prioritized. You don't do it alone. You know, like I had that person who came with me and, and vouched for me and helped me, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't do it alone, but in the end, you have to decide that you've got to, you've got to prioritize that self-leadership. And um, Mm. yeah, I'm, I'm just really like thinking and, and listening to your feedback. It's interesting because I train other clinicians and other community leaders in how to take care of themselves. However, um, I'm always telling them this is like an us, we're all in this together. So this isn't like, you know, I have all this figured out. And I think I think what you're saying also reminds me of the fact that burnout and feeling overwhelmed, it happens even to the best of us. And it has to kind of be this ongoing process where we are implementing the things that we need. And also, like you're mentioning, um, figuring out ways to be in community with other people so that we can, every time we kind of find ourselves falling back into this place of, of uh, allowing ourselves to get lost, to find our way again, to reconnect and to identify those things that rejuvenate us. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, what you're saying is so on target because I think what we tend to do is we we don't think about resilience as um, as something that we have to nurture. Mm. You know, we tend to think of it as um, it's not really about recharging, right? And mm-hmm. it's not about enduring. Like when you think about resilience, often people think about like enduring through adversity and coping. But it, but it actually means respecting and caring for yourself right. and, and recognizing that self-care is a need like in the same way that like gas for your car is a need, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about a reward or an indulgence or, you know, uh, it, it's, it's about tapping into your essential life skill set mm-hmm. um, so that you can move forward with hope and motivation and energy um, and, and therefore successfully recover. 
from life challenges. So, so right. now what I think about is I think about like my energy gas tank, right? And I think, mm-hmm. what am I doing to refuel? Not like go on vacation um, or get a massage because those are really special events. But what mm-hmm. am I doing day in and day out to make sure I have enough kind of gas in my energy tank? And right. that was very helpful for me to to start to think about it that way and to stop thinking about it as, um, especially this idea of pushing through and managing through adversity. Once I stopped thinking about it that way and started thinking about it more as um, refueling on a regular basis, that's the skill. Mm-hmm. And that, that can be a hard skill to implement, like you're saying, for, right. for most of us, because it's not the way we're taught to think. Right. And it's like, we, we figure it out and we're, we're all right with taking care of ourselves for a while. And then we, we might slip back into allowing other people's needs to overcome our own lives. And then we get back on track again. So it's also this, this ongoing process that has its ups, it has its downs. Um, sometimes we think we're moving forward. We have to move back a little bit. Um, and, and, but, but the point is that we're constantly engaging in the self-reflection and so that we can get ourselves to where we need to be. Lately, I've been thinking about, because I'm a very visual person, I tend to think visually, and I've been thinking about um, riding a bicycle and how if you watched anybody, even Lance Armstrong, (laughs) certainly me, if you videoed us uh, riding a bicycle, you know, what you would see is you would see a, a kind of a balancing act, right? So we're moving straight forward. We're moving down the block or down the street, whatever it might be. But one foot goes to the left and our our balance is slightly to the left at that moment. And so we then push the pedal down on the right. And it's sort of, you know, if you looked at it in slow motion, it's sort of this swaying back and forth, but staying forward. And mm. the goal is not to, you know, not to go too far to the left or the right because your face will end up in the concrete, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. the goal is, is to just gently bring ourselves back, gently bring ourselves back. Um, understanding that perfection isn't like staying straight and narrow, but perfection mm-hmm. is that process of gently pulling back and forth. Mm. That's a really powerful visual. I know. I love that. Mm-hmm. So where do you see yourself in the future? Well, um, uh, I am more and more, as I said, um, there are sort of two competing things going on in my mind. Um, I've, especially in these times where, you know, you, we, these are very challenging times, Mm -hmm. uh, socially in our, in our country, in our world. And I think as a, a social worker, I've had an eye, and, and as a clinician too, as a family therapist, I have an eye toward system change. That, that's mm-hmm. a, a value that I've held. But honestly, you know, as I get older, I, and as I feel like the world feels a little less, influ- it's, it's harder to influence it. The influences are coming from so many competing directions. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've stopped thinking at the level of system change. And it feels to me like the system has a little bit of a life of its own and that 
it may not even be possible to influence it. I, ha- I haven't totally gotten to that point, but, but I think maybe that's the case. Mm-hmm. So I've really turned my eye toward local change mm-hmm. and to asking um, myself, you know, at any given time in history, I mean, what we're going through feels unusual for us. But if you just look historically at any given time, there's lots of upheaval. At any given point, you can look around the world and there's upheaval. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even within that, there are people in communities that are doing wonderful things, mm-hmm. right? And that are making a difference in their in their community. And right. their community might be their family or their community might be their town or their city. But I think um, that's the direction that I see myself going in and that I, that I feel like I'm, I'm drawn to more and more. So the work I'm doing right now feels very local. Um, it may not be my local city. It might be another city that I'm consulting in or something, but my solutions are solutions that say, I call it the 15% solution. What can we do today without any additional resources? Hmm. You know, with a little bit more effort, with a little bit different thinking, what are we able to accomplish? Let's ask hmm. ourselves that. Start there. Start with these small solutions and, and kind of begin to ask, who am I in my community? And, hmm. um, and what can I do? to make life a little bit better mm-hmm. for the people around me. And I, I think that feels much more reasonable and realistic um, and sort of responsible too. Like mm-hmm. then I feel like I'm really responsible for carrying out those commitments that I made to myself that like we talked about earlier and also to the, the people in the community that I'm serving either as a social worker or either as a, as a resident. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, as I move forward, that is probably very much the 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 kind of like uh, the boundaries around the work that I want to do. Like rather than um, do, making changes at a big system level, so that's that's a change for me. Hmm. And it sounds like it, that also involves like a balance between kind of. Um, this individual work that you've been doing throughout your career, and then also trying to make a pet an impact systemically. Um, and, and it also just in listening to your vision, it also uh, makes me think of the importance of kind of looking at what we have and figuring out what changes we can make with the resources that we have without reinventing the wheel, but maybe mm-hmm. pushing ourselves a little bit beyond um, what we're typically used to. Yeah. And I, I think too, that um, we don't, look to, so more and more, I'm interested in mental health, for one thing, right? And I'm really interested in community uh, mental health. And by that, I don't mean like the institution of community mental health, right? Uh, Like centers and things. But I mean, like within church communities, do people know about, not about mental illness, but do people know about mental health? Hmm. And how can they support each other in building resilience, in in building um, strength within within the community, um, within schools, within churches, whatever it might be, and in using the resources of the wisdom of the people in the room. So not necessarily people with professional education, mm-hmm. um, but you know, really tapping into those resources, which go into that, you know, bucket of 15% solution, right? There they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of wise, amazing people. And with probably, you know, some help and empowerment and maybe skill building, which we all need, 
they mm-hmm. can make a big difference. Right. Can touch a lot of people that otherwise, again, don't seek formal services, but, you know, but you need a little bit more and will do really well with more skills and, and some support. So mm-hmm. just like that woman who said to me, I will help you fight that ticket. Let's go do it together. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she's not a professional, you know, therapist or anything, but what a difference that made in my mental health. Right. You know, right. So are there any favorite or life-changing resources that you want to share with our listeners? Oh, well, certainly. I mean, for me, um, making art and doing community art, I mean, it's not exactly a resource like go to this place, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's more just looking at, um, like some people go to the gym, right? That's mm-hmm. how they get their endorphins. I, I would say that um, getting involved in art making for me has been life-saving. Mm-hmm. And um I guess that's that's a resource that I think people often feel like they can't take advantage of because maybe I'm not an artist, mm-hmm. and um, that's maybe that what that's what they think. And I would just say, making art, making being the the main thing here, not the outcome, but the making right. is so healing, and and can and most often is is something you can do in community, like even if it's in a a class or with a group of friends. And I, I think that's a resource that goes untapped for a lot of people because they think I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I hear people say that. And I'm like, that's, that's not the point. It's right. like, you know, you're doing something <laughs> together and you're making beauty, whether you think it's like as beautiful as, you know, whatever, something you might see in a museum or not. It is beauty. Mm-hmm. It's beauty because you're doing it together and you're creating something out of nothing, which is actually magic. And right. so I think resource-wise, that is something I would, I would really encourage your, your listeners to consider, whether mm-hmm. it's knitting, you know, or pottery or whatever it might be. For me, it's mosaic art. Mosaic art is a really, really makes me feel like, wow, I find all this stuff and then I make something different from it. And that's like, I love that idea of putting pieces together that were broken. Right. Um, so to me, that does it for me, but it may be mm-hmm. not for everybody, but I, I would encourage that the same way I encourage people to walk and get exercise and all that other good stuff. Too often mm-hmm. we leave out art. Yes, yes. We can have a whole conversation about that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll save that for another time. I would but, love um... that. I would love that. But yes, you're absolutely right. And um, and lots of people have found that. And for me, it like saved me. I mean, absolutely, it saved me. And um, so I would, I would well encourage other people to consider yourself, um, you know, able to access that, no matter how you judge your talent because it's not mm-hmm. about that it's it's really about engaging your mind and your body in a different way and that's mm-hmm. wonderful mm-hmm. is there anything else that you want to share with our audience you know i don't think so i i think um i think that about does it this was really fun and nice to talk to you about it thank you so much for joining us my pleasure Thank you so much for the opportunity, Megan. I really admire your work and your spirit. And I just think this is great that you're doing this. 
Thank you for listening to Real Stories. The resources referenced by today's guest speaker will be included in the episode description. For more information about me, Dr. Megan Corredo, and my work with the story's trauma narrative intervention, please visit my website, www.storiesguide.com. Also, feel free to follow my story social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember that for every story of trauma and adversity, there is always a story of strength and resilience.